Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. How much longer will justice be when a lawless heart is the voice where... Hello, everybody. This is Shane. I'm so glad you could join me. I love getting to do this show and I'm glad someone listens to it. <laughs> um, uh, you know, on the, on this show, I like talking about faith, not just as a ticket into heaven, but faith as something that fuels uh, the work that we do in this world, as Jesus said, to seek first the kingdom of God and to seek it not just when, in heaven when we die, but to come on earth as it is in heaven. So what does it look like to pursue God's dream in this world? And for too long, there's a lot of Christians that are so heavenly minded, as my grandmother said, that they're not much earthly good. So we can believe in heaven. We can believe in life after death, but we can also believe in life before death and uh, pursue that justice today. And there's a really special guest. I get to have a lot of guests on the show, um, but this this is a real special one. Um, Tim Whitaker is... Um, I guess kind of a new friend. We've been hanging out for a while, but uh, he heads up a project. I'm going to call it a project, Tim. Um, the New Evangelicals, and he's a viral sensation, everybody. <laughs> uh, but uh, he's internet. Uh, a lot of people are connecting to uh, Tim on all, pretty much on all the socials. We'll talk about that a little bit. But you can also find the website, thenewevangelicals.com. But before we get into all that, bro, we've we've had a chance just to hang out a little bit, and I think it's it's really great. I mean, you're very personal in your your posts and in the work that you do. But for folks that might be new to it, talk a little bit about um, tell us a little of your journey. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you asked me the same question on you, so I'm going to say, you know, um, I know, I know, you're you're you know, spitting out some bones and you're like deconstructing some stuff, but you're sure. also like asking great questions and you're showing up. I mean, we were just in Nashville with the uh, Moral Mondays around the, you know, kind of stuff happening there. You've come down here to check out the the shop where we beat on guns. So we're hanging out together. Uh, but tell us, tell folks a little bit about your story because it's really powerful, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Shane. Uh, you know, my my story is in some ways for some people might be really unique, but for a lot of people it might be really common. And frankly, it starts out like this. You know, I was um, I was born and raised in uh, conservative Christianity. I was homeschooled for nine years. Uh, great parents, great home life. I was always at church. Um, every time the doors were open, my family was there. So, so church was my life. It was everything I knew. 
Uh, I made a, a profession of faith early on. I got baptized young. I did um, the Awana program. For those of you who know what that is, it stands for approved workmen are not ashamed. It's like a, it's like a kid's Bible club thing. Um, I, and I was always a committed Christian. Did from- you ever do the quizzes where you have to quiz the Bible? You know, like where you, it's like, you got to get it word for word. Did you ever do those? They're oh like yeah. Competition. Did you yeah. Do yeah. I mean, oh, sword wow. drills where you had to find the sword Bible. Flies, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I <laughs> did it all. And, and in Awana, you have a handbook and depending on your age, you memorize certain verses or books of the Bible. And then if you do it, your leader would sign off and give you what's called a share. It's like their currency that you can then spend at the store. All right. So I was, you know, I, I say all that because um, really evangelicalism in America, that was, that, that is my tradition um, that I, I grew up in. Um, I listened to a lot of John MacArthur and then I was in- introduced to more mainstream evangelical you know, speakers like Francis Chan, always a committed Christian my entire life. I worked with an organization called Child Evangelism Fellowship um, as a youth, uh, which is the largest um, you know, boys and, and girls club ministry in the world. They do these things called five-day uh, five uh, clubs in, in people's backyards and now in public schools. So I was really all in. Um, and essentially through a, a long series of twists and turns, you know, I came to a, a point in my own faith, um, maybe in my, in my early 20s, where I said, you know, something um, regarding how we organize as the church, I'm not sure if, if it makes a lot of sense for me. It seems a little really event-centered, not community-centered, and I started rethinking things. And then, um, you know, I, I read your book, Shane, Irresistible Revolution, while, when I was 18, I was thinking, oh, I never thought about like a socially minded, you know, take on on the gospel thing. Like, you know, Jesus does say liberate the oppressed. And I never thought about it in the physical sense. I was always taught you want to get people to get saved and not go to hell when they die. That's the main point of being a Christian. And honestly, yeah. for me, the, the the big moment, and I'm skipping a lot, but in 2016, when when the evangelical support behind Trump really grew, I thought to myself, something is way wrong in my faith tradition because Many of the people who raised me in church who were emphatic that I I follow a particular sexual ethic that essentially said, hey, God God requires of you, teenager Tim, that you don't touch yourself or anyone until you're married. That's a sexual ethic. Um, Good luck. And then all of a sudden, they're mad at me because I can't vote for the the guy on the cover of Playboy magazine who's on his third marriage, who slept with the porn star and paid hush money. Suddenly, I was the bad guy. I'm like, uh. You know, no offense, guys, but you kind of radicalized me, and and, and now yeah. that now that I'm I'm holding I'm holding to everything you taught me, I'm I'm standing firm, so and telling the world to move to me instead of me going to the world. Somehow, I'm the bad guy because I can't vote for this dude, and that was really the beginning of me rethinking my relationship to my own evangelical tradition, and then to the broader. Christian tradition as a whole, and I started mm. you know reading more and just kind of reading my own history of evangelicalism. And then of course we had, you know, George Floyd was murdered. Amon Arbery was murdered. Breonna Taylor was murdered. And that for me was another wake up call of like, wait, I think something is really wrong with yeah. uh, race relations in America. And then watching how my own churches responded, I'm like, this is not a good take. And then finally COVID happened. And that's, it was kind of the final nail where I said, I don't know. I, I I don't know what yet, but something is really wrong here. So that led me yeah. to renegotiating my faith. And I started the new evangelicals asking the same questions to people. Turns out there were a lot of us asking those questions. And now here we are as a nonprofit organization trying to move you know, beyond what we were taught and trying to really reclaim the way of Jesus as best as we can. 
the new evangelicals was born. What and where in all of that was it during the COVID or was COVID? It during, COVID. But yeah. it was kind of like all of these things created the perfect storm that you ended up uh, really creating this new. Uh, what would you call it? Like a. Uh, Tell, tell people a little, you've told me a little bit about kind of the pillars, because over over the last few years, you've been able to sort of define some of the things yeah. that are kind of your sweet spot, your passions, and to also be transparent about the things you're still figuring out. But there's some things that you kind of are like distinctives, right? Sort yeah, of yeah. Yeah. So I started the New Evangelicals in December of 2020 as an Instagram account. It, it grew really quickly. And I said, okay, well, we have something here. People were DMing us like, oh my gosh, me too. I'm trying to make sense of my faith, but this whole situation, I call it, I call it it's really the trinity of deconstruction, right? Trump, Black Lives Matter, and COVID are the three things that really went into this like ingredient pool. Um, so we eventually became a nonprofit only about a year ago in March of 2022. And essentially what we do is three primary things. We hold space for folks who are marginalized by the evangelical church. We advocate for accountability in evangelical spaces, and we help people explore the Christian tradition beyond what we call the basement of fundamentalism. So, okay, we're kind of out of that space, but now we're in this huge house that it turns out the Christian tradition was way bigger than we ever understood or knew it to be. So we help people kind of explore some of those other rooms to see how other Christians live in the world and how they make sense of the world. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it can feel like you've just got to, you've got a choice, like sort of a crossroads. I'm either in or I'm out. Like I'm either a Christian or I'm not. Right. Um, And it it feels like a lot of folks are are digging a little deeper on that and going, well, just because I've like rejected Trump evangelicalism doesn't, it's, that might not be the end of my faith. That might be a new beginning, you know. <laughs> exactly. So, so, um, but, but it's it's tricky because there's sort of a pastoral side of this so that you're doing virtually, you know. I mean, you're doing it with real people too that meet you and stuff. But, yeah. um, uh, I, I think of folks like Jamar Tisby, who's a dear friend. Mm-hmm. He's been, you know, we've done this show together, and. Um, one of the things that it feels like to me is uh, you, you've been here to Philly. We're like uh, turning abandoned houses into homes. And there's some of them that like we get these houses for $1 and there's a reason that they're $1, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and they can look really good. But then you go in the basement and the whole thing's just absolutely crumbling, you know, yeah, and you're like, yeah. I, you couldn't pay me to take that house. But there's other houses that like they can look really bad, but the foundation's pretty solid. So I think, if, you know, as a historian, Jamar's like helped us go, you know, some of our denominations were actually built on defending slavery and racism. <laughs> right. Know, like, right. It's, it's going to be hard to like rebuild that foundation. Um, yeah. There's others that, like Jesus said, the wheat and the weeds are all growing together, you know, and and they might need a real renovation. You're going to have to tear some stuff out. The electric's dangerous, you know, <laughs> like, right. but, but it can still be, uh, you know, kind of renewed. So how, how like, how, talk a little bit about how you're, you know, personally, but also how you yeah. see other people navigating the deconstruction. Because some people, it's just like, just got to tear every single thing down. But yeah. You're like a storm comes, you're like, man, I ain't, I don't have a house, you know? Right. Well, you know, we say that deconstruction is really an explosion. It, it's not a, a single movement of people going in a certain direction. It's really people going in all different kinds of directions. I know plenty of people who deconstructed and they, they would say, hey, I'm no longer a Christian. And frankly, I'm I'm personally so done with gatekeeping that kind of stuff where I'm like, hey, 
I hear you. I get it. We, I wish you well. I'm cheering you on. We can still work together, of course. But there are a lot of people who are like, I can't, I can't shake this Jesus thing. Like, I just, I, I can't shake this way of Jesus and, and this beauty I still find in parts of the Christian tradition. So for, for people like myself, I, we don't really use the term a whole lot these days of deconstruction. I call it a renegotiation of faith or having a, a, a crisis of theology. It's not so much a crisis of faith for me. I never really doubted if God exists or if Jesus, you know, is the Son of God. That, that, that those weren't my questions. My questions were like, well, what do I do with the theology I've been given that gives me a certain framework to see the Bible? That tends to like have some, I think, some pretty ugly outcomes. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta change that, right? So, you know, the reason why we call ourselves new evangelicals is because, first off, there's a, a tradition of that in in our own move, in our own history. But, you know, an evangelical is someone who brings good news. That's kind of like I think the most bare bone. If you really boil it down, um, and I don't think evangelicals today have good news to bring these days. Yeah, and I'm like, can we bring some good news back? You know? <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, that, obviously, that's the you know, maybe not everybody listening knows that that that's the heart of the word uh, uh, evangelical is is good news, the bringer of good news. And yet, a lot of what we see in evangelicalism, uh, as one of my friends says, it's definitely. Okay, news if not bad news. Like it doesn't sound like yeah. the good news. And Five out of ten on, on on its best day, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or especially good news to the poor, you know. Right. Like uh, right. so, it's you know. Um, and, but it's interesting because um, the there was a group, you know, the Evangelicals for Social Action that Ron Sider founded. That they kind of got rid of the word. There, I think they kind of decided that. Uh, Throw in the towel. It's not worth fighting for that word. They yeah. change their name to the Christians for social action. But I thought it was kind of interesting that you used it. You want to say anything more about like, uh, I mean, do you think that that word's worth fighting for? Or you just think it accurately describes where you're at right now? Well, I think a couple of things. You know, first off, when I started uh, TNE, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. I didn't know the term deconstruction existed. I didn't know that the term decolonization existed. You know, I mean, I was still pretty green at so much. So I, I fully acknowledge that. At the same time, I'll be honest, Shane, I'm stubborn. And the idea of like fundamentalism kind of winning that word, I'm like, you know, it's not, it's not exclusively yours. And even in our own tradition, it's never been exclusively yours, even if even if it, you tried to gatekeep the term. You know, one of the yeah. books that that made me think about it this way was the book uh, "Discovering an Evangelical Heritage" by Donald Dayton, who pretty much argues that you know the early Wesleyan tradition—they were abolitionists, they were egalitarian. Oberlin College was the first college to ordain women. They were incredibly socially minded, and I'm like, those are my evangelicals. Totally. Like, let's bring some of that back, right? So while maybe a fool's errand, and I would certainly never tell any anyone that 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 they have to keep the name i get why they don't we're swinging the bat and saying you know can we try and remind people that like evangelicalism is not even though it might feel this way now is not as monolithic as we think it is yeah. and there's actually some pretty rich streams um you know that maybe are worth trying to reclaim and bringing some good news back to people yeah, and it's certainly true once you get outside of white evangelicalism, right, that you see yes. that there's a whole lot of other people. Some of them have embraced the word evangelical, some haven't, but right. they've got a much more robust, liberating, good news evangelicalism. Right. Uh, some of those uh, Christians, especially like um, black and brown Christians in the U.S., um, have been the exact opposite 
when it comes to Trump, like 80% of white evangelicals defended and supported Trump. Some of them still do, but 80% of black women, uh, many of whom are Holy Ghost filled uh, yes. church women and yes. and men too are are like um, uh, the, the the kind of conscience of our country, right? So I think it's helpful that these these competing narratives have been there. I, it's interesting because I um I, I I'm a little bit ambivalent on the evangelicals word. I've obviously felt strongly at uh, not. Um, conceding on the word Christian. There's a lot of folks say, I'm not going to call myself a Christian. I'm going to call myself a follower of Jesus, whatever. And that's, that's fine if that's where people are at. But like, right. you know, I, I have seen that people of all faiths can distort that faith. And um, I, I don't want to allow the colonization of our faith from the folks that I think have some of the most toxic versions of it, you know, yes. and, Yes. Um, so anyway, let me just pause to say like real quick, uh, uh, if you're just tuning in, y'all, uh, thanks for listening. This is Shane Claiborne. And uh, my guest is Tim Whitaker, the, who's a friend of mine. We've been hanging out some. He's also the founder of the New Evangelicals. And um, so what were you going to say, bro? Well, I was, I was just going to say that I, I think one of the things for me that's changed me so quickly uh, is understanding like in hearing and reading black voices for like maybe the first time in my life. Like I'm embarrassed to say I didn't know who James Cone was till like a year and a half ago. I mean, and I in I think one of the one of the reasons why so many of us are just as you said in in, in my podcast with you, uh, we have some holy rage inside of us because we were we were kind of told like this is all there is, like this is the Christian tradition, is whatever we're giving you, and then you kind of get out of that space and realize like actually you're like a small piece of that pie, and I've yeah. actually have not heard these other voices that are speaking like from an experience that I needed to learn a long time ago. So now I'm trying to play catch up and trying to understand that like the world is much different for some people in America than the, than the American America, uh, America society that I've experienced. And I've just been told like, no, we solved the racism problem like, you know, 30 years ago. And that's just not reality. And I think for me, it makes me, I have to struggle with like not being, you know, bitter, but still yeah. having some kind of holy rage inside of me saying, guys, you know, this makes no sense. What what took you so long to catch up, you know? Yeah. And it's not a not a brand new thing, you know, that that uh I mean, when Gandhi was asked about Christianity, you know, he really infamously said, I, I love Jesus. I just wish the Christians acted more like him. So there's yeah. this this sense of and Frederick Douglass talked about that. There's yeah. two very different versions of Christianity, you know, right. the American Christianity and the Christ Christianity. And yeah. uh and they're, they, they, you can't hold them together, you know? Um, right. So, um, you know, as, and as you zoom outside of the U.S., you see like we're 5% of the world's population. So there's some of the fa- like fastest growing versions of Christianity. They've got their own struggles sometimes, but there's also like just a, 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 in a lot of places, not all the same baggage that we've got here in our country. And a lot of the world's looking in on it going, what in the world? No, oh, totally. So, yeah. Um, so, I, you know, it's been said that folks that deconstruct, like whoever constructed yeah. their fundamentalism uh, the most robustly uh, seems to have the biggest wrecking balls. Like they come out like <laughs> as the biggest deconstructionist. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes they end up 
using the same tools um, that they learned in fundamentalism uh, yeah. and, and, you know, in the conservative evangelicalism, they become a part of a cancel culture that if everyone doesn't fit all of their criteria, there's sort of a progressive um theological policing that happens and you know a line in the sand you're you know it's all a lot of this stuff is um do you see that when you, in your circles that there's there's still kind of a self-righteousness and a moral superiority sometimes on the left that mirrors the stuff on the right and you can still find yourself stuck right and kind of how how to navigate that yeah, you know, I think that's a really fair point. I tell people often that we don't want to become fundamentalists all over again. That's kind of how we phrase it, you know, it's because you can do that. Yeah. You know, you 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 can I I you can rebuild systems that that say progressive or deconstruction on them and that are still and that are still built on the same foundation of what you were taught in in you know these these other spaces. I I tend to agree in that way. I, I think where I struggle um is that I really firmly believe that that like the uh, the unfortunate binary that we're in, right? I I see like we're in an, we're in another civil rights moment in our country's history, and so for some things for me, I am black and white on. I'm gonna fight for queer inclusion in the church. Like I'm sorry, I'm black and white on that. I'm convinced of that. Not gonna I'm not gonna capitulate to people who are like you know calling people like that demonic or evil i think that's a line in the sand moment right yeah. but how how we how we advocate for that inclusion i think there's like a, a wide array of array of perspectives on that we can fight for so that's yeah. just one example for me where it's like yeah that is black and white but i also realize too how we actually make that happen like advocating for affordable health care in the country it, can we at least just start with that agreement that yes People deserve affordable healthcare. Then we can fight about maybe some of the best ways to do it. So those are yeah. that's kind of how I draw that line personally for me right now. Yeah, and Reverend Barber often says a lot of these things are not about left and right; they're about right and wrong. You yes, know? And, and, exactly. and some of these things that we see as partisan, um, they really shouldn't be. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure anyone could call themselves a Christian and not affirm the image of God and the dignity of every single person, um, regardless of their sexuality, right? Like that, that sh yeah. shouldn't be a, uh, I think, you know, when it comes to the sacrament of marriage, folks are probably going to disagree, but I think there's some things that we got to like really hold fast on. And, um, and you seem to be doing that really good. I, so I want to ask you like, so a lot of these, these, there's, there's these, you know, people call it influencers or internet, you know, folks sure. that are, you know, I like the good liars, you know, they're going into the Trump things and yeah. they're just li like holding up a mirror. They're just letting right. people talk, you know? Right. Right. So I'm going to give you a chance to say that slavery is wrong. Would you like to say that? You right. Know? Right. <laughs> exactly. Going, well, no. Well, you know? yeah. um, so, exactly. but you, you've, in some ways you've been going into the belly of the beast, you know, the eye of the storm on this. You went to some of the decision America things, these kind of meshing of Christian nationalism um, yeah. that, that that have happened with Sean Foyt. And, uh, and I, mean, I think there's a lot of different degrees of, of uh, dangerous theology out there, but you've really helped expose that sometimes just by like playing 
the things that people are saying and going, okay, let's, I mean, I think one of the things that we did around the last election is we just had the words of Jesus and the words of Trump and we put them on billboards, vote common, good, put those on billboards and you could just see like, you know, whoa, I tell people often like, guys, there's no reason to exaggerate the claims. Like the, these the people are saying the quiet parts out loud. Like we had yeah. people on camera saying, yes, blasphemy laws are needed in America because we're a Christian nation. And you're like, look, yeah. not exaggerating. They're actually saying this but yes i absolutely so have say gone- a little bit like a couple of these places you've been and i don't know if one story pops out as something that you uh you think you know i mean there's so many i mean every day it's, it seems like well i'll just like, put it this yeah. way you know in december i went to america fest that's like one of the biggest christian nationalist events hosted by turning point usa Eleven thousand people every major right-wing pundit you can think of and podcaster that you can think of. And I went there because I wanted to experience the culture of what drives people to have these views. You know, I, I met one, yeah. of, one of the largest pastors uh, in the Christian nationalist movement, Rob McCoy. Um, I, I, I spoke to him privately for a few minutes. I want to understand, like, I really, I truly do not get how you read the Sermon on the Mount and go, these people are demonic. These people are evil. Forget our enemies. We have to conquer them. But also we love Jesus. Like, I just don't understand the consistency. So yeah, so I went for, it was three days. I walked the floor for 16 hours each day, talked to everyone I could, every person I could. I'll say two quick things that I did for me. Number one, yeah, it humanized it. people. It reminded me that we're, that we're, I'm also speaking to people made of the image of God, which is why we, we have a very strict policy of non-dehumanization. Uh, but number two, it also reinforced why I why we... And others are so concerned about Christian nationalism and the movement because it is incredibly militant and focused, and they believe that God has given them a special divine right to rule over America and to really yeah. impart its its fundamentalism throughout all of our of all of our society and laws. So those two things really concern me. Yeah, I wish I'd had you with me when I went to Greg Locke's uh, congregation oh, uh, to the Big Tent Revival or whatever. To to I that. don't even want to call it a re- revival, but the uh, you know th- that thing. So they they didn't have uh, you know you weren't allowed to wear masks. Uh, it was a mask free church in the middle of COVID. I mean, this is you know, and then I, I can remember him saying like. January 6th was not an insurrection. We'll show you an insurrection, you know, and had this very militant, violent uh, theology. But then afterwards, you know, I met with him. Uh, He actually, uh, you know, embraced me. We talked. But I also I mean, there's a point where you also go, this is dangerous. Like, like, this is not just like let's agree to disagree, right? I mean, this is anti-Christian and it's doing a lot of damage. That's part of what really surprises me, bro, is like that folks don't see the damage that's done by the the tweets of Franklin Graham or someone that's just like, continuing to say things that are so un-Christ-like, you know, in really public ways, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got any last thoughts, man? Well, I want to make sure. So here, here's the deal. We might be talking for the podcast, but for folks that are just um, uh, tuning into the radio show, the new evangelicals.com is where you got to go. So you can yeah. keep up with Tim Whitaker. Anything else, bro? In no. closing, you got a benediction for us? <laughs> nope. We're here. We're here to stay. And I appreciate go having me. <laughs> be the evangelicals that are good news. Yes, exactly. The there you go. And the hurting and the marginalized. Hallelujah. 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 I agree with you where you get to a point where you're like, hey, this is this is really dangerous, like for people, you know, and and also I, I just think and I think this is why we have the community that we do, because I say quiet parts out loud that maybe are uncomfortable, but we have to understand that like the legacy of white supremacy is still manifesting themselves in these spaces. Like, I don't think Greg Locke 
for example, thinks that, he, that he's participating in that tradition, yeah. even though he is. Right. I don't think that Charlie Kirk or any of those folks think that they're participating in the tradition of white supremacy manifested through white evangelicalism, but they are. And so that's why for me, I feel very much that way where it's like, hey, man, you're in the image of God. I, I'm committed to nonviolence as much as I know how to be committed to that. I'm not here to dehumanize you, but also like you have to understand that what you're advocating for is harming so yeah. many people. And if you can't acknowledge that, you have to understand that we're going to do everything we can to resist your ideology on behalf of our neighbors. Because here's what I tell people, Shane, people say all the time to me, well, Tim, these aren't, these aren't true Christians. And I go, listen, that is dangerous. Okay. Because, and also what that does is it, 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 it it um it negates the responsibility we have as Christians to hold our own accountable. Christianity has a lot of good streams of faithful people, but as we both know, there's also people who have used the faith to do very harmful yeah. things. And so I tell people Christian nationalism is Christian. It participates in a particular Christian stream. However, it advocates for things that are anti-Christ. It is anti-Christ in nature. And there's yeah. a difference there, you know, and that helps people kind of realize that, okay, yes, they, these are Orthodox believers as far as, you know, when you ask them to, to say all the right things, they'll say it. But what they're advocating for is anti-Christ. And that's why we're so concerned. Yeah. And and that's why groups like uh, our partners at Christians Against Christian Nationalism kind of name that, you know, that, right. that explicit contradiction that there are uh, folks that would say that they are Christian that are defending things that are very unchristlike. And uh, and I, I really believe, you know, if we were, this was hundreds of years ago, that we would have a council, you know, like the Council of Nicaea yeah. to, re to really repudiate uh, the, the, this version of Christianity as a heresy, because it really yeah. is, it's a violation of so many of the core values of historic Christianity. Um, but we're getting a little too serious. So I want to ask you two other things. One of them <laughs> is, 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 uh, so, you know, the devil is a liar and, but keeps telling the same lies in new ways. Yeah. Um, and, Right now, we're we're combating some of those lies, but you know, I think of that scripture that you, you kind of alluded to this that we're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And some of these run really deep, but but they are there are folks that are really bound up that are being um, that are a part of this apparatus that's hurting folks. I mean, I think even of like Pontius Pilate and all these folks that were a part of yeah. the apparatus that was uh, you know took the life of Jesus. But there's a lot of folks that are you know, a part of this. And so how do you like, I know how I try to do it, but how do you try to differentiate between the principalities and, and the powers and the individual that might be doing some really, really concretely harmful things, you know? Yeah. You know, I think I still have a lot to learn in that department because I'm, I'm still pretty new to a lot of this work. And I think that there are people like you and others who, who, um, you know, have a lot of wisdom to impart on folks like myself. But I think what I do, uh, the, my approach right now, which of course is subject to change is, I remind myself that, yes, these are human beings. I mean, I've shaken their hands, some of them. I've sat down with them over coffee and tried to have a real conversation like, hey, help me understand, you know, how yeah. you're thinking. Um, but when it comes to public accountability, when it comes to really 
frankly, just trying to say things that so many people say, like believe that that they, that they just can't say. You know, we try and say those parts for people. We try and speak and say things that I know folks who don't have a platform like that we have, or maybe folks who can't say it because they risk losing their job at their church, right? We try and say those things for them. Um, or um, another thing that I think I struggled with in the beginning of this work, right, was I when I was made aware of my own privilege for the first time. I'm like, oh my god, I have this white privilege. Like, what do I do with it? I didn't. I didn't mean to be born this way, but I am. And I was talking to one of my friends. Her name's Janice, a black woman, just a great friend. And she goes, white boy, just use your privilege for good. You know, like, Mm. hey, you can't control, but like, just use what you can, you use what you have for good. And that really helped me realize that like, I have an, um, I have an obligation, right. To go into spaces that are not safe for folks like my friend Janice. I have, I I can go to America Fest. I can speak that language because I grew up in it. I, I can make the connections I need to make. I can have those conversations and my body is not in jeopardy because of who I am. And that's a way I can use what I was given as a way to hopefully try and make change um, in way in ways that maybe other folks shouldn't have to do, right? So I think that's kind of how I yeah. see what I'm doing now and in, in, in ways to kind of find this like balance of you're human, but also I'm going to fight against these policies, man. Like I'm going to help people vote to stop the policies that you're advocating for because you're harming people. At the same yeah, time, yeah. you're made in the image of God. And I respect that. <laughs> yeah. I believe it. I believe it. And you know, Dr. King is one of those voices for me that had every reason to hate and just said, I've seen right. too much hate to hate. I'm going to choose love. Hate's too heavy a burden to yeah. bear. And he really believed it. And he saw people change, not everybody, but he saw, you know, and I mean, when he says, you can burn down our houses, you can put us in jail, you can put your dogs on us and we will still love you. You know, right. you can hate us all you want and we we will you we will wear you down by our love. That's what yeah. Dr. King said, you know. And um so we were in in Nashville. You got any other thoughts as we were, you know, thousands of us uh marched on the Capitol with our brother Justin Jones and um and and a lot of the survivors of gun violence, people that were impacted by the recent mass shooting in Nashville. And yeah. this wasn't just about gun violence. It was broader than that, but it was about the politics of death, right? Like yeah. the fact that yeah. we can we can save lives. And um you, you got any uh we're kind of riding that wave fresh. We just got back yeah. and any thoughts on what we saw down there, experienced? Well, to be honest with you, this was like this was my first like real protest I've ever been ever been a part of. I mean, ever, um, you know. And I I've been telling myself like I have to find time to get more involved in like things that are boots on the ground because I I just can't keep talking. Like there has to be action behind what we're advocating for. And so I didn't know what to expect. You know, my my wife said, "Listen, be safe. I'm worried." So I said, "Don't worry. I won't get arrested. I'll make sure I'm safe." We have two little kids. You know, they're three and, and one. So I have to think about them and 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 their. They, they they need a dad that can come home to them, you know? Um, but I didn't know what to expect. I really didn't, Shane. You know, you invited me out. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make it happen. And I, I think one of the things that really stood out to me is, in, in remember, I, my background is just evangelicalism. When we were in the church and, um, and I'm looking around, I'm like, oh, there's a lot of clergy from like more mainline Protestant traditions. And seeing them all stand when, when Reverend Barber asked him to stand, I was like, wow, I can't forget that there are so many people in the Christian tradition who are 
fully committed to the work of of, of justice in their communities. Um, yeah. And just because I haven't experienced that does not mean that somehow I grew up in like in like the dominant stream of 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 American Christianity. So yeah. that was like really that was really a moment for me of like wow this is powerful. And then also I think just going and hearing the stories, especially from the victims. Um, you know, I mean, there were a couple of stories that we heard. Each one of them only reinforced why um, I just don't have time for people who are like, hey, man, thoughts and prayers, but hey, uh, don't tread on me. It's like, hey, that's fine. You, We live in a free society. You can move whatever you want, but I'm moving on. Like, I'm, we have to, I'm leaving that behind. We, we need to fight for this change to happen now because what's happening is a problem. And the last thing I'll say is I never thought about – well, I thought about it, but, but I think Reverend Barber put it into really healthy words for me. That like these things are interconnected, you know, yeah. like he mentioned um, um, ecological disaster, the war economy, you know, uh, health care, poverty. These things are interconnected. Yeah, and we absolutely. have to find ways to find policies that, that address these things. And that really reinforced to me that like we have work to do, but it's so important now that we're part of that work because I don't want to be that white moderate that Martin Luther King wrote a letter to 60 years ago. You know, I don't yeah. want to be considered someone who was too busy with, you know, his own uh, local context, like in his own little life and, and the capitalist dream to actually go and, and be a part of the change as much as he can be. And so I think that white evangelicals, especially men like myself who are changing, have an obligation to say, Hey, we're going to do whatever we can to speak back to our own community, to start pushing in a different way that maybe someone like Reverend Barber never could. But at the same time, we have so much to learn from folks like Reverend Barbara um, and others because we're so new to this work. So we have to make sure that we're, that we're just as much students as we are advocates. Yeah, man. Well, my last uh, question, I think the, that I was going to ask you is, um, uh, you know what's on the horizon. You got anything new? You got any? Uh, <laughs> you got any holy mischief that you're up to that you can you, you can let the you know let us know about beforehand, or do we have to wait? And, <laughs> Shane, know, what, I don't what, know what, what I'm doing. Do crash next time. Yeah. Listen, let me give you just. The, I'll give you the tea. I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't mean to start a nonprofit. I didn't mean for this to explode the way it has. There's been. i my learning curve has been so steep on the nonprofit side. On, on everything, you know, I, I think right now where we're at as, or, as organization is we're asking the question, how do we give people who we're trying to help better access to connecting with each other in person, not just digitally? And how do we give people better resources to really rethink their faith in healthy ways? So I think that's kind of on the horizon for us. Like, how do we just think about that? How do we have the funds to be able to do that? How do we create more partnerships with people? Because one thing I'll say on, on, on this note, I'm convinced more than ever that people who are trying to do this work need to be unified. And one of the reasons why I think we're in the same cycle is because, and I, I say the quiet parts out loud. So this is just me. I'm not saying you have to agree, but frankly, right-wing media is so unified in their talking points. You know, they have one or two talking points. The whole world knows it. Now we also talk about drag queen story hour all of a sudden, you know, and I really think that we have to find ways to have a media presence to get out information in ways that are just as effective as what some of those other places do. So I'm thinking yeah. in the very early stages of like how we build ways of utilizing social media and things like that to our benefit to get the realities out to people, letting them know that there are better ways forward in the Christian tradition. 
Yeah. I mean, some of those things weren't even real, you know, like the, the, the whole conversation around critical race theory, oh. like in elementary schools, right. It's a real thing in, you know, grad school or something, but you're like, you know, I went to circus school, Tim, I don't know if you know that, but you know, one of the, like one of the like most elementary lessons of uh, magic is that you, you know, you create a distraction over here so that you can, uh, you can pull something off. Right. right. You know, like, yeah. That's how I feel. I, I really do feel like, why am I, why do I have to respond to drag queen story hour or like, why this, there are more important things in the world right now. Like the, the like poverty and, and the wage gap for us to be talking about instead right now on my Twitter is why Bud Light is quote unquote woke. It's like, guys, I don't want to talk about Bud Light. I don't care about Bud Light. Their beer is garbage anyway. Can we talk about real things? So I'm more and more convinced that like, we have to find ways as a more, as, as, whatever the heck we call this group of people trying to do this work to get information out there in effective ways that help reclaim some of these narratives. So good. We'll do this again soon, but this has uh, been a great conversation together. Uh, yeah. Tim Whitaker, y'all and go to the new evangelicals.com. You can also just go on all the social media. You want to tell anybody else uh, how to tell everybody how to follow you and stuff, man. That's pretty much it, right? Yeah. Anywhere the, the new evangelicals are, we are. So boom, boom. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.